God sent his only son into the world to save sinners. Do you believe that today? To seek and to save that which is lost. And when a sinner comes to know Jesus as Savior in the heavenlies, they are already positioned in Christ. They are already seated with him in the heavenlies. You may remember the image we've looked at over the last several weeks of the stick man outside the circle and the stick man inside the circle. And I think a lot of times we sort of think of our lives like that stick man outside the circle. We're always trying to get closer to Jesus when the reality is in the heavenlies, we are already in Jesus. We are already positioned in him and the Bible is clear. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus. Now what God wants is that not only are we positionally in Christ today, but also practically that we would be abiding in Jesus today, that we would be dwelling in Jesus today. That is the language and the imagery of Scripture that in Him we live and we move and we have our very being. Although with the sin nature that we have and living in this struggling, broken, sinful world, oftentimes we do not abide in Jesus. Our relationship is still intact, but we're not in that sweet spot of fellowship with Jesus, you might say. The cure for that is repentance and faith. That's why that picture of the tree is there inside your worship, God. We've talked about that. We have to repent of believing what is not true about God and who He is and what He's done for us in Christ and who we are in Christ and repent and believe what is true about who God is and what He's done for us in Christ and who we are in Christ and that lifestyle. By the way, the Christian life is not a lifestyle of perfection. Have you figured that out yet? In fact, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize how woefully imperfect you are. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you realize what a sinner you are. And it becomes this constant lifestyle, this rhythm of repentance and faith, repentance and faith, repentance and faith, which then positions us to abide in Jesus. And Jesus said, when you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And so over the last several weeks, we've been talking about when we do abide in Jesus, life happens in four directions or life in 4D. When you're abiding through repentance and faith in Jesus, first of all, his life, D1, flows toward you through the inspired, infallible, authoritative word of God. It flows toward us. We hear it. We read it. We study it. We memorize it. We meditate on it. We apply it to our life. And then out of the richness of his word, our life then flows back to God. We commune with God, and we do that in solitude. We draw away, just like Jesus did so many times in his earthly life here. And in that solitude, we surrender. Really, moment by moment, we are in need of surrendering, of saying to the Lord, not my will. I don't know about you guys, but my will tends to get in the way a lot. But his constant posture of solitude and surrender and saying, not my will, but your will be done. And then it's about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Spirit meaning with an authentic, a genuine heart. Bringing all the good, the bad, and the ugly to him in our worship. Grounding that on the truth of God's word. And then it's praying and waiting and watching. How often do we pray but we don't wait and we don't watch? But what if we started praying, believing, so we wait for God and we watch for God. And we even fast for more of God. And then we rest in confidence, knowing who God is in our life. And it's out of then that relationship of D1, God to us, D2, us to God, that then that begins to spill over on our brothers and sisters in Christ. See that? It just kind of supernaturally begins to happen. 
out of my own personal connection with the Lord, it begins to affect the way that I live in relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. We talked about that last week, that the defining characteristic of our relationship with each other in the family of God is for the purpose of edification. Not just friendship, but to edify one another, to build one another up in our confidence in Jesus, our hope in Jesus. Not just pats on the back, but pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to the truth of God's word. That's what life in the body of believers, that's what life in the church is supposed to look like. We're all struggling, right? We're all trying to repent and believe. And so I need my brothers around me who are going to be building me up in Jesus helping me to be stronger in the Lord. Sisters need their sisters in the Lord to be building them up in the Lord. And then it's out of that, God to us, us to God, us horizontally to our brothers and sisters, that then the spillover happens horizontally the other direction. And that's our life toward those that don't know Jesus yet. Our lives flowing in the direction of people who need to have a relationship with Jesus. Just as I said, our primary relationship with each other, the saved, is to edify and build up. Our primary relationship with people in this world who don't yet know Jesus is to evangelize and bring them in. Bring them in and build them up. Every lost person on this planet, that ought to be the nature of our relationship with them. To have a relationship with them for one purpose. And that's to see that they come to know Jesus Christ, just as you and I know Jesus Christ, to win their souls to Jesus. Listen, not just to be nice. I think sometimes we've kind of reduced what it means to be a biblical witness in this world to let's just be nice. That kind of reduces down to let's just tell people what they want to hear. That's not love. Love is I want, I want you to know the truth. I want you to know that God sent his own son in the world that if you believe on him, you don't have to perish but you can have everlasting life. Listen, our, our witness in the world, and I think sometimes we begin to hear this in, in church a lot of times, is we're just here to sort of make the world a better place. No, no, that's, that's not why we're here. Yes, we want to be salt and light in this world. We want God to use us to make this world a better place. But, but listen, if all we're doing is trying to make the world a better place or trying to be nicer, listen, if all we're trying to do is fix the problems in the world, right? And yes, there's, there's problems in the world that we want to be concerned about. We want to be engaged in. We, we, we do want to bring an end to racism. We do want to bring biblical justice wherever there is injustice. We, we do want to step in to that. We do want to care for the poor. We do want to do those things. But listen, church, if that's all we do, then what we've done is we've simply created a little better world from which people can leave and perish in eternal hell. And let me just make this clear, by the way. All of our activism and any particular need in the world is not going to change the root of the problem. The root of the human problem is the human heart. And the only thing that can transform and change and save the human heart is the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in Him alone. So let's talk about evangelizing the perishing. Reaching the lost. How do we do that? Number one, I want to say this. First of all, we want to have the right perspective. We want to have the right perspective. And by the way, all these problems in the world, the gospel, the gospel will solve these problems. That's why we got to stay on point with being people of the gospels. Now, we got to have the right perspective. Let me ask you this. 10 million years from now, 
What's going to matter? What's happening? Did I miss something? Brothers breaking out in laughter? Did my pants unzip? <laughs> don't do that, y'all, while I'm preaching. I'm on live stream right now, too. That's really scary when y'all start laughing. I don't think I said anything funny, did I? Oh, you'll be alive in 10 million years. No, did I say we'd be here? No. Listen, class, come on. Lock in, people. I've already preached this sermon once today. I'm mediocre at it by now. In 10 million years, you're still going to be in existence. And we will be here. We will be living on a new earth. By the way, let's just make sure we're all clear about that. But 10 million years from now, what is going to matter? That's really not a question to laugh about. It's really a question that ought to grip our hearts. Ten million years from now, is it going to matter if Bama advances tonight to the Elite Eight? I mean, I hope they do, but it is not going to matter ten million years from now. Ten million years from now, is it going to matter the size of your paycheck this week? I mean, that's important to your bills this week, but ten million years from now, it's not going to matter. That argument that you've been in that you keep trying to win, is that really going to matter ten million years from now? Wherever it is in this world that you're finding your identity, your value, your self-worth, do you really think all that junk's going to matter 10 million years from now? I can promise you, church, the only thing that's going to matter 10 million years from now is who is in heaven and who is in hell. Nothing else is going to matter 10 million years from now. And if that's all that's going to matter 10 million years from now, you agree or disagree, then that ought to be what matters now. Come on. If the only thing that's going to matter 10 million years from now is who is in heaven and who is in hell, then that ought to be what matters today in our lives. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said he came into the world to seek and to save the lost. Agree or disagree? If Almighty God robed himself in human flesh and stepped onto the planet for the sole purpose of seeking and saving that which is lost, then saving the lost ought to be a big deal to me and you. Can I ask you this? What did you do this week that's going to matter 10 million years from now? Did you do anything that's going to matter? Was somebody's eternal destiny affected because of your life over this past week. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Let's look at that. Paul says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, notice that's Lord in all caps. This is a quotation from the Old Testament. Lord in all caps like that. It's the translation in our English Bibles of the name of God, Yahweh. He's known as Yahweh in the Old Testament nearly 7,000 times. The name Yahweh pops up in the Old Testament. He's Jesus in the New Testament. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't say everyone will be saved. It's conditional. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But, listen church, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? That's logical. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him 
unless somebody tells them. If you could talk today to Moses or Paul or Peter, I think I know what they would say to you. I think I know what they'd say to me. I think if we could have an interview with those guys for just a moment, they would say to you, listen, whatever you do, give your life to reaching the lost no matter the cost. Think about it. Peter and Paul, they loved to tell people about Jesus, did they not? They loved to bring people into the kingdom of God. But guess what they have not been able to do for the last 2,000 years? They've not so much as laid eyes on a person that needs Jesus for 2,000 years. They're with the Lord. There are no lost people there. But hello, we live in a world of nearly 8 billion people, most of which do not know Jesus, and we're here. And if Peter and Paul and Moses could talk to us right now, they would say, give your life, no matter the cost, to reaching the lost, because 10 million years from now, that's all that's going to matter. There aren't going to be any lost people in heaven for us to share the gospel with. Think about that. That's one thing that we get to do here that we'll never get to do there. Man, I don't, I don't want to be a person that gets there and says, well, I never did it at all. I got one life on this pale blue dot to spend it to try to bring as many people to heaven to Jesus with me as I possibly can. Because once I get there, game over. I'm not going to ever have that chance again. The moment you take your last breath, you'll never again have a conversation with somebody in need of Jesus. Think about this. Every day, every day, nearly 200,000 people step into eternity. Just since this worship service got started today, about 4,000 people have stepped into eternity. They're never going to get another chance to hear the gospel. They're never going to get another chance to be saved. The Bible says it's appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. 4,000 people just in the time that we've been sitting here today. Two people every second. Two people, two people, two people, two people. And they'll never get another chance to trust Christ. Every 36 hours, more people die in just 36 hours and step into eternity than all the Americans that died in World War II. And they'll never get another opportunity. To know Jesus. This is why you and I need to be about sharing the gospel with people who need Jesus. Lost people need Jesus. Amen? And God's plan is to use saved people to take the gospel to lost people. Amen? Isn't that how you got here? Isn't that how you came to know Jesus? You can tell your story. There was somebody that made a difference in your life. They spent time. They invested. They showed you Jesus. They shared Jesus with you. And we need to have the right perspective. Listen, if you're orbiting your life around anything today that's not going to matter 10 million years from now, you got the wrong perspective. It's only by orbiting our lives around what's going to matter 10 million years from now that we're living with the right perspective. 10 million years from now, all that's going to matter is who's in heaven. Who's in hell? And if that's all that matters then, that ought to be all that matters now. It at least ought to be what matters the most. We need the right perspective. 
But not only do we need the right perspective, but we also need to have the right passion. The right passion. Do you? Do you have a passion to win the loss to Jesus? You know, if I'm honest with you, the list of things in my life that I am more passionate about than seeing the lost people come to Jesus is longer than I would care to admit. I'm not good with that. I'm not content with that. And I'm praying that God's going to just revolutionize my life because I'm not like Jesus when that's the case. Jesus set aside his glory to seek and to say that which is lost. How can I say that I'm following Jesus when there's a list of things to me in my life that I'm way more passionate about than sharing the gospel with people who need Jesus? Is sharing the gospel with lost people, is that a passion in your life? Is that a driving force in your life? Why not? It was for the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. He says, yet preaching the good news or the gospel is not something I can boast about. I'm compelled, I'm compelled, I'm compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. Paul says, listen, I'm not boasting in me because I'm passionate to tell people about Jesus. And nobody should boast in me, he would say, because I'm sharing the gospel with people. He says, I have to do this. You know why? Because God has compelled me. God has called me. How can I receive salvation from him and be compelled by him to go and tell others about this salvation and not do it? That's why Paul said in the text, how terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. How terrible for me if I found salvation in Christ and I didn't tell anybody else. For Paul, telling people about Jesus was not an option. For Paul, telling other people about Jesus was not a suggestion. He understood that God had commanded him to do that and the passion in Paul's heart above all else was to please his Savior to please God and I believe that Paul feared God far more than he feared people being upset with him I think that's kind of where we're lacking today church we need all the likes and pokes and follows that we can get we want all that affirmation. A lot of us would say today, I, I fear more rejection from people than I fear disobeying God. So think about this for a minute. What are the three things that can happen when we share the gospel with somebody? Jade can go to work tomorrow and he can share the gospel with somebody that the Holy Spirit has already gone before him and that person comes to know Jesus as Savior. That's a win, right? Or Jay can go to work and share the gospel with that person tomorrow and that person rejects Jade, rejects the message, laughs, scoffs, calls Jade all kinds of names. That's a loss, right? Or Jade could go to work tomorrow and he can share the gospel with that guy at work and the guy doesn't really reject Jade, he doesn't really reject the message, but nothing really happens. And in that moment, we believe that perhaps God used Jade to plant a seed or to water a seed. We'd call that a win, right? Two out of three ain't bad, y'all, right? 66%. I mean, although it doesn't matter in 10 million years if Bama advances to the Elite Eight, let's be honest, they shoot 66% tonight from the three-point line, they go into the Elite Eight. But I got better news than that for you. 
Jade actually doesn't experience 66% victories in that scenario. The Bible actually teaches Jade experiences 100% victories in that scenario. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. Peter, who knew a little something about telling people about Jesus, he says, If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. Why? For the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. God just said, somebody dog cusses Jade out tomorrow because Jade is burdened that that person would know Jesus. And God says, Jade, that's a win. You're blessed. And you're blessed because in that moment, the glorious Spirit of God resides on you. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take a good dog cussing to have the glorious Spirit of God resting on me. That's a fair, better than fair. That's a great trade, right? Let that sink in. We can share somebody, share with somebody about Christ and they can trust and win. We can share with somebody about Christ and Maybe we just planted a seed or water. That's a win. The only other thing that can happen is they shut us down. They mock us. They despise us. They reject the message. They reject Jesus. And God says, if that happens, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed because my spirit rests on you. Look at what Jesus says. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. These are, these are the red letters, y'all. This is what Jesus says. He says, what blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil, exclude you. That's kind of like we talked today about our cancel culture, right? What blessings await you when people hate you and cancel you and mock you and curse you because you follow the Son of Man? That's the key. Not they do those things because you are a moron and you act like a jerk. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says when you're following me and there's negative repercussions because of that, there's blessings in heaven. Verse 23, when that happens, he says, be happy. Jade goes to work tomorrow. He shares lovingly. He shares the gospel with a dude there at work, and dude just knocks his lights out. And Jesus says, Jade, be happy. Be happy. Yes, leap for joy. But I just got punched in the face. Jesus says, Jade, yeah, but a great reward awaits you in heaven. And he says, remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. Man, if I get smacked in the face tomorrow for telling somebody about the love of God, I'm not the first person to get smacked in the face for telling somebody about the love of God. It's been happening in every generation. Jesus just said that when we get rejected because of Jesus, that God has blessings for us in heaven. So let's be passionate, church, to obey God. And to share the gospel with other people. Why? Because that's a win, win, win. Every single time. By the way, do you know the only way to fail at sharing the gospel with somebody? Just don't do it. That's the only way you fail. Just not, I know some of you going, but I don't know how to do it. You don't have to know how to do it. God knows how to do it. He's just looking for somebody to do it through. It's not going to be you. Nobody, nobody is the person responsible for anybody being saved. We're just the vessels through which God works. God always gets the glory for people being saved. He's just looking for a vessel. You don't have to be qualified. He'll qualify you. 
The Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit before you. Obedience to God. There's no, by the way, there's no greater way to love another human being and to share the eternal hope of the gospel. That's the pinnacle of loving somebody else. So make sure that that person's ready to step in to eternity. And I, I think I remember Jesus saying the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. You know the greatest way you can express love for God? You obey His command. Tell somebody about Jesus. And you know the greatest way you can love your neighbor? To tell them about Jesus. It's being a gospel witness. That's the best way to be obedient to the great commandment to love God and love your neighbor. Listen, even last year, even lost people last year, we're, we're proclaiming, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? We heard it all over the world last year. Love your neighbor as yourself. People, that, people don't know God at all. That was the message across the world. Love your neighbor. Do these things. Love your neighbor so your neighbor doesn't get sick and doesn't get COVID and doesn't die. And that's right, y'all. There are good and wise things that we can do in this temporal world to love our neighbor and to care for other people. But let us be clear. The greatest way we can love our neighbor is to tell them the truth about Jesus. That he died in their place and he'll save them from their sin if they'll turn and believe. That's the greatest way to love our neighbor. Honestly, church, what if today we started taking people's eternity as serious as we've been taking COVID for the last year? Think about this. Ten million years from now, that's all that's going to matter. And what if we started taking that as serious right now as we've been taking this disease for the last year? You know how serious Grace Life took it? We totally revamped the way we did everything as a church. Totally stopped what we were doing and started figuring out ways and made it work and changed up all the time. Why? Because we were passionate. We don't want anybody to get COVID. We don't want anybody to die of COVID. But what if we got that serious about the gospel? That we said, we are willing, God, to do whatever we got to do in the construction of what we do here as a church family. We're willing to do whatever we got to do if it just means we get one person into your eternity forever. What if you as a family, think about the great links you've gone through over the last year. How hard you work, sacrifices you made, effort that you put in. Why? Because of a temporary sickness. I know it's a big deal, but it is a small deal 10 million years from now. What if we got that passionate as a family? What if we got that passionate as an individual? That I don't want to see anybody step into eternity without a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What if we were so dedicated to that that there would be no reservation, no holding back to changing, altering, modifying whatever I got to do in my life? Does it mean I got to start working from home? I'll work from home. Does it mean I got to wear a mask to get somebody into heaven? I'll wear a mask to get. Does it mean I got to stand on my head every day, 24 7, to get somebody into each other? Whatever it takes, when are we going to begin to think like that? Let me remind you that just since this sermon started, about 6,000 people have stepped into eternity. They're never going to get another chance. Just since we started this service, 6,000 people have stepped into an eternal heaven, an eternal hell, and they're never going to get another chance. So biblical evangelism means that we have got to have the right perspective. We've got to have the right passion. And then number three, we've got to have the right priority. 
Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Watch this. The Bible says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back. You might want to underline that. Let's go back and let's visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord. Why? To see how the new believers are doing. Look, if you know anything about Paul, you know he's a missionary. You know he's an apostle. You know he's, you might even call him an evangelist. You can look in the back of your Bible and there's maps of Paul's missionary journeys. But over and over again, you're going to see this pattern in Paul's life. Let's go back. Let's circle back to where these people trusted Jesus and let's circle back to see if they're growing. Let's help them grow in the Lord. Let's go back and see how the new believers are doing. Listen, let's be clear. Paul was not about getting people to convert from paganism to Christianity. That was not his priority. His priority was not about getting people to convert from Judaism to Christianity. That was not his priority. Paul's priority was not getting people to pray a prayer or walk an aisle. That wasn't his priority. His priority wasn't getting people to check a box or join a church. That wasn't his priority. Paul's priority was not about making converts. Paul's priority was about making disciples. Fully devoted followers of Jesus. And that's why you see this pattern in his life over and over again. Let's go back and let's pour into the new believers. Let's go back and let's give them more of the word of God. Let's go back and ground them in the truth of God's word. Paul had the right priority. Listen, church, the priority of evangelism is discipleship. The priority of biblical evangelism is discipleship. For the last, I don't know how many generations, we seem to have missed that message. Let's just get people to pray a prayer and make a decision and walk an aisle and check a box. That's just the beginning, but that's not the priority. The greatest evangelism method is to produce one re reproducing disciple. You don't have to travel around the world by yourself and preach the gospel to 8 billion people. Just share the gospel with one person that God brings to salvation and then disciple them to be a reproducing disciple. That's all you got to do. That is God's method for global disciple making. I fear that what we've done in the church is we have turned discipleship into this never-ending, lifelong pursuit of biblical literacy. And biblical literacy is important. We even talked about several weeks ago the opposite of that. Biblical illiteracy is one of the captors that lures us away from fellowship with Jesus. Biblical literacy is important. But listen, biblical literacy alone is not discipleship. I just got to be honest with, with you as your pastor. I am just getting a little tired of all our Bible studies. We're a few Bible studies overweight right now is what we are. We just keep ingesting and ingesting and ingesting more and more. True biblical discipleship is not only about knowing. It is also about going. It's about doing something. And by the way, Jesus never in Scripture says, be my disciples. He says, make disciples. He may say, by this you'll know you're my disciple. But his command to us is not to be one, but to make one. 
We call that the Great Commission. And it's not a call to come in to another Bible study. It's a call to go out and to do something. And that something's to make disciples. Listen, I love a good Bible study. I do. I'm in a couple of them right now. We all need that. But let's be honest. Is it possible that we would grow in our relationship with Jesus more? Is it possible that the Spirit of God might transform us more into Christ's likeness if we did maybe a Bible study less and instead spent that time telling a lost person about Jesus and when they respond to Jesus, then we spend our life then walking with them and teaching them how to walk with Jesus? Is it possible that's the greatest way for life transformation to happen? That seems to be the way Jesus did it in the first century, and I'm just kind of partial to believing that's still the way Jesus intends to do it in the 21st century. Some of you are Sunday school teachers, and you know why you love to teach Sunday school? Because you know what I know about being a preacher. I grow the most because I'm pouring out into somebody else. Here's where Grace Life is missing the boat. We got a couple of dozen Sunday school teachers. That's it. If we grow the most by pouring out to somebody else, every member here ought to be teaching somebody. Every member here ought to be leading somebody. Every member here ought to be discipling somebody. If I'm your pastor going forward, we're not going to do it like we've been doing it. Don't get scared. We're not chunking it all. But we got to do some things better than we've been doing it up to this point. I think a Grace Life 2.0 is on the way. I'm excited about that. I just envision a day when every member is a leader. Every member is leading somebody, guiding somebody, discipling somebody, teaching somebody. You know why I want to see that happen? Because that's when you're going to be transformed the most into being like Jesus. Not sitting here and hearing me preach week after week. That's a piece of it. Not sitting in a Sunday school class, listening to Sunday school teacher teach week. That's a piece of it. But you are never going to grow, never going to be transformed like you will be when you are passionate about winning the loss to Jesus and discipling them to be fully devoted are y'all, does this make sense, Grace Life? I'm kind of off script here, sort of losing my mind in the moment, but this is my heart right now. Are you with me? All right, all right. Y'all laughing at me early. Now y'all got quiet because I got up on your toes. All right? Some of y'all starting to feel vulnerable like your pants are unzipped. Here's why that works. When you're leading somebody else, you're teaching somebody else, you're discipling somebody else, here's why that works. Because you know what it does? It takes the focus off you. And isn't that true Christianity? When the focus isn't on me, but it's on God first, it's on horizontally my brothers and sisters that I want to see built up, and it's on people who aren't yet my brothers and sisters that I want to bring in to build them up. That's why it works. Most of our Bible studies, church, seem to fail to do that. In fact, much of what we call Bible studies, I fear, aren't really Bible studies. They're self-improvement chats with a little bit of Scripture thrown in. If you walk out of your Bible study thinking more about you than you did when you walked in, you did not just encounter God in the Bible. You cannot encounter God in the Bible and come away more focused on self more orbiting around self, more self-absorbed. Look at Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He encounters God high and lifted up. 
And the result of that is he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He confesses that sin, God cleanses him of that sin, then God says, Now who's going to go? Who's going to go for me? And Isaiah says, Here I am, Lord, send me. If your Bible study is just leading you to think more about you, you're not doing Bible study. If your Sunday school class is just leading you, or your small group is just leading you to think more about yourself, you need to find another Sunday school class. You need to find another small group. In fact, here's what I'd prefer. I'd prefer you come to me and say, hey, I want to lead. Is there a new believer I can walk with, Pastor? Is there a new believer I can disciple? That's what I want to hear. Boy, I wish I had a waiting list of people who just wanted to go one-on-one with somebody and help them to build them up, to reach the lost person and build them up. In Jesus. Our priority cannot be attending another Bible study. Our priority is not even telling somebody about Jesus, as important as that is. Our priority has to be what Jesus' priority is, what Paul's priority was, and that is to make reproducing disciples. Paul says, let's go back. Let's go back. Let's keep going forward, and then we're going to go back. We're going to go forward, and we're going to go back. What if? And follow me here. This is going to be a crazy thought. Is it possible that when Jesus breathed his last on the cross of Calvary, is it possible that he was not yet done making disciples? Is it possible that he said, I'm not done with these 11? Even as he drew his last breath, is it possible that he was not yet done making disciples? Is it possible, next Sunday being Easter Sunday, is it possible that when God raised Jesus from the dead, that God was sending a message to every devil and every demon in hell, that the resurrected Son of God is not yet finished filling the world with fully fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the message of Easter. That he rose and he called out men and women and boys and girls. And he said, now you go and make disciples. And we're going to fill this earth with fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. who are going to spend eternity, 10 million years from now, in a new heaven and a new earth. That's all that's going to matter. Discipling others is the priority of evangelism. Not just to get them into heaven one day, but to get heaven into them this day. Fourth thing I want to say. Biblical evangelism, right perspective, right passion, right priority. And then we got to have the right presentation. The right presentation. Let me take you back to the book of Acts again. We, we, what time's the next service start? 11 o'clock? I've only been doing this now for a while. So, all right. I figure out how fast I got to talk. Acts chapter 15, right? It's where we read that Paul said, hey, Barnabas, let's go back. Let's check on these people. He told those people, by the way, when they came to know Jesus, you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That was the gospel message he presented them. But we find him back now in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15 because while he's been preaching a gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, back in Jerusalem an argument has broken out that no, that's not the gospel. Back in Jerusalem they're saying it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, plus more stuff you do. You, you, to be obedient and pleasing to God, be accepted by God, you still got to be, be obedient to some of the Old Testament laws. May, maybe you still aren't ready to eat that pork sandwich just yet. I don't know whatever it was they're talking about, but I, I'm not really down with that because I'm really liking my shrimp and my pork sandwich, right? 
So they were adding to the gospel. This is why Paul comes back to Jerusalem because the church leaders are getting together to say, listen, we got to get this thing right. There's no more important thing to get right than what is the gospel. And Peter helps him get this done. Look at verse 11. Peter steps up and he brings that controversy to an end. He says, we believe that we are all saved the same way. No matter who you are, where you are, where you're from, we're all saved the same way. By the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. That, that's the right presentation of the gospel. We're all saved the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. That was the right presentation of the gospel in the first century. Hello, that's the right presentation of the gospel in the 21st century. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other way. None. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Now watch this. That's the right presentation, church. It's that simple. Grace alone. Faith alone, Christ alone. And then, watch this. When you couple that presentation with the right heart, when you couple that presentation with this powerful thing called love, now you've got a powerful presentation with a powerful representation of what that is and that's going to be an unstoppable message for people that need to hear about Jesus a loving gospel and a loving messenger grace life hear me what if that's what we became about proclaiming a loving gospel as loving messengers is there anything that this mean old crusty world needs more today to hear and experience than a loving gospel from a loving messenger? 